Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about salvation and the end of the world. No man knows the day or the hour, understand that. But we do have signs. Many Christians are like the ostrich with their head in the sand. And they're oblivious to what is happening. If your hope is in this world, you're headed for a big surprise. But I offer to you the most glorious hope, the person of Jesus Christ, who can give you eternal life in spite of this decay and perverted world. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What will the last days be like? Well, Scripture says it will be as in the days of Noah. Well, how close are we? Today, Pastor Xavier helps add some insight as to what's to come and what to look for as he brings us today's important study titled, The Signs of the Times. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. Jesus has rejected and pronounced judgment over the nation of Israel as he wept over Jerusalem. He now is about to leave the temple area for the last time when his disciples call attention to the building. Those disciples are Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Mark tells us. Matthew 24 and 25, and you should study them together, are our Lord's last major discourse. Make sure that you know that it's dealing with the Jews and the nation of Israel, not the church. That's the context. When people put the church in Matthew 24 and 25, then you put the church in the midst of tribulation. So be real careful. The context is real important. As we look to Matthew 24 also, there is no real clear division that we can know in everything. There are many things that we don't understand in Scripture. Many things that we can't say, well, this is for sure. But we can't compare Scripture with Scripture, so we can try to make some sense of it. And when we're not absolutely sure, then it's best to say, well, this could be possible. But certainly as we look and we look to these first 14 verses, there is a double application, a near view and a long-term view, a short-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. Jesus is about to leave, and in just a few years, 30 years or so, the Roman legions would come in by Titus and destroy the nation, the city, the temple. And so it looks towards that short-term, but it looks to a long-term term view also fulfillment in the last days when God will once again deal with the nation of Israel before his return. You must understand that the tribulation is not for the church. The tribulation is for Israel to prepare her for her Messiah. Jesus has just finished saying, I will leave unto you desolate. And you should not see me to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord in the previous chapter. Don't disconnect this with the previous chapter. It's linked together. Now, as we look to our passage this morning here in these first 14 verses, we want uh, to not only acknowledge the Lord's proclamation of all these things that will happen, but we want to give to you some information about what is happening today to show you that we are not far from these things. Now, no man knows the day or the hour, understand that. But we do have signs. 
Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He says, you know, you guys can go outside and look at the sun and say, you know, it's going to be a neat day today. Or you look over and say, no, you know, it's going to rain. We better not go out today. He says, but you can't discern the sign of the times. Let me tell you, many Christians are like the ostrich with their head in the sand. And they're oblivious to what is happening. You may say, well, Xavier, you're just always negative. I don't like to be negative. But I'm a realist. I live in reality. I think the greatest stupidity of our time is to turn our back on reality to, in spite of all the evidence and information that we may have regarding technology, science, or whatever it may be, and then to just turn and say, well, it'll all work out. What do you base that on? On goosebumps? On a hunch? The only thing that I depend on is upon the scriptures. If your hope is in man, you need a lot of help. If your hope is in this world, you're headed for a big surprise. But I offer to you the most glorious hope, the person of Jesus Christ, who can save you from your sin, who can make you brand new, who can give you eternal life in spite of this decay and perverted world and the collision course that we are headed on. In spite of all the positive thinking and all the endeavors of the goodness of man, we're about the end of time. If not, God help us. What will the end of time be? Let me read these 14 verses. Then we'll take and um, look at them. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him and showed him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Mark that. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Mark that. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. All nations, not some. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, then the end will come. Not before. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus declares to his disciples that man doesn't see this world under judgment. Verses 1 and 2. They showed him the building, tremendous building. 
It was known for its architectural beauty. White marble plated with gold on the dome and when the sun hit it, it would just blind people. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, that David stone, that Jerusalem stone, it, it, there's a code throughout the city. You can't build a house unless you face it with Jerusalem stone. And when the sun hits it, it's sort of a golden uh, uh, yellow at times. So when it hits it perfect and the whole city looks beautiful. And here the dome was just with gold and it was just beautiful. It was just, I mean... It was 46 years he had been building this temple, beautifying the temple. This temple was really Zerubbabel's temple that we studied at the return of the captivity. Herod began to beautify it, put all kinds of bucks into it. 46 years. Can you imagine the disciples' mind when Jesus says, not one stone's going to be left upon another? Oh, come on, Lord, look at these things. What are you talking about? And so you and I tell people, the Lord's going to return, He's going to rapture us out, He's going to destroy this world. Oh, come on. <laughs> the difficulty of your problem depends on the size of your God. Who is your God? Is your God one that is limited to certain things? My God isn't. He can do all things, and Nebuchadnezzar says, whatever he does, no one can say, hey, what are you doing? He does as he wills. He reigns in heaven and on earth. The stones were huge, 100 to 180 tons each. 50 feet long, 24 wide, 16 thick. Now, how'd they get them up there? And they didn't use cement. And you can't even put a knife between them. It's amazing. The porches were upheld by pillars of solid marble of one piece, 37 and a half feet high, thick enough for three men to embrace arms and barely touch their hands. As I said, it had been in this building that's beautifying for 46 years, and yet Jesus says it will be cast down. Not one stone will be left upon another. But notice that the disciples were told that not one stone will be left upon another, but Jesus calls attention. He says, do you see all these things? The disciples saw only the beauty and the permanence of the building and not that it was under the judgment of God. You know, you look at this world and sometimes you, you, you forget, even as a Christian. You know, you walk out, you have a nice day, and it's beautiful. You know, you get one of these beautiful days where you can see the mountains, even though you live 20 feet from them. <laughs> and, and you get up one morning, oh, man, there's mountains there. And, and it's just a beautiful day, and, and you go, man, this is a beautiful day. You kind of forget that the world's under judgment, huh? Sometimes we look at things and say, oh, no, this, we're going to be here forever. And we get so bound by our structures and how permanent they are and how beautiful they are and how long they've been there. And no matter how long they are, what are we? We're a baby. We're a baby. Look at Rome. Look at Greece. Look at all the other nations. And yet they're gone. Titus came in in 70 A.D., destroyed the temple and the city. Titus did not want to destroy the temple. He did everything in his power to save the temple. It was so beautiful. But it was written, wasn't it? Jesus had proclaimed it. If, if Titus would have, would have been able to save the temple, you could have just thrown your Bible away and cast out Jesus as a liar. But the Jews fled to the temple and the last resource to repel the Roman legions and 
They set it on fire and all the gold melted. And to recover the gold, they had to remove stone by stone. You look down at some of the quarries there by, by the Temple Mount, you see some of the stones in the very same position that they were left by when the Romans threw them over. There are all kinds of excavations are going on. Incredible. How could have Jesus known this? He says, I know the, the end from the beginning. I know things before they happen, so when they happen, you'll know I'm God. I tell you about them. Isaiah declares that. There's another thing Jesus declares in verses 3 through 5, and it includes verse 11. Jesus declares to his disciples, the man is prone to spiritual deception. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came privately to him and, and asked him, tell us when these things shall be, what shall be the signs of your coming, the end of the age. Uh, Matthew answers the last question first, the end of the age, then he answers the signs of his coming. And some believe that he doesn't even touch the first question, though you can find allusions to it. It's very hard to untangle this whole thing. But Luke certainly answers the first part of the question as you compare the parallel. As he speaks about the army surrounding Jerusalem and then the fleeing to, uh, to the mountains of Judea, the, the flea is mentioned here, but the armies are not mentioned. But we have the parallel passage. Now, notice the warning is real. Take heed, verse 4, that no man deceive you. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth, I think, are so profound. Out of anything he could have said, he says, take heed that no man deceive you. Spiritual deception is at the heart of this world. The systems of men, the systems of this world will try to lead you away from Jesus Christ. They don't mind if you're religious. They don't mind if you're moral. They don't mind if you're a pagan. Just so you're not a Christian. Deception is an awesome thing. We are warned throughout Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 1 John 4, 1. Many spirits have gone out into the world. Jude 3 and 4, content for the faith. People have crept in unawares, poisoning, polluting the Word of God. Teach solid doctrine, Timothy. Don't let others teach anything else. Meditate on the Word. Rightly divide the Word, Timothy. Continue in these things. Examine the Scriptures. Examine yourself. Deception. I've seen many people in the short time that I've been a Christian been deceived in many different ways spiritually. It's not a hard thing. It really isn't. And your only protection in mind is the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, then you have no standard by which to judge what you are taking in. If you are depending on someone else to always make that judgment, whether it be your pastor or friends, then you are a dead duck. You better know the Word of God. Pray for your pastors. Respect your pastors. But don't idolize your pastors. Check them out. They're not all telling the truth. And certainly all of us as men have feet of clay. 
And so the standard is the scriptures. Very important. Verses 5 and 11 tells us the deception is subtle. By saying that they would come and say they were Christ. And they would speak in his name as prophets. False prophets, false Christ. Remember Benjamin Kramer a few years back saying he was the Messiah? And that Jesus was only one of the ascended masters? In the New Age, you have the higher consciousness, the God in you, channelers, all this power. You can get anything you want. And people, doctors, lawyers, the upper echelons of our societies flock to it. Why? Because it gives them what they want. Think about it. Why did you come to Jesus? Because he'll give you what you want or because he'll save you from what you are? Very important to ask that question. If you've come to Jesus because of what he can give you, then he's an idol and he will not be an idol. He wants to be your God. That's idolatry. He wants you to come to him because of what he can do for you, make you new and cleanse you and make you his son and his daughter and give you a standard by which to live by. Not that he's going to give you everything and anything. The heretical teachers we have on TBN in many churches, all these guys ripping people off, telling you that the God in you, your little gods, and you can tell God what to do. Thousands and millions follow them. And, and we're not in the tribulation yet. All we're acknowledging is what Jesus is saying is going to happen. I'm giving you evidence of what's happening right now. We haven't gotten there yet. Psychology, in the name of Christ, with self-love, self-esteem, self-help. When the rich man asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And these two hang all the law and the prophets. Both of those commandments are a direct command against self-love. The natural sense in man is to love himself. And God says, focus your eyes on God and love him. And then you'll be able to love your brother. If you never love God and focus on him, you'll only love yourself. You'll never love your brother. And so when the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's taking a sinful practice and puts it as a parallel or a parable, really, side by side. Now, you know how to love self. Now, if you will do this to him, hey, you'll do great. It's not a command to love yourself. It's a teaching to do to others as you do love yourself a sinful practice. Self-esteem will not get rid of your problems. Self-esteem will only compound your problems. You will become your own God without even knowing it. You're the most important and you are the most, uh, the greatest gift to mankind. Read some of the self-love literature. We know it's interesting, some of you of our Christian publishing houses, Nelson uh, House Publishing, is publishing now non-believing self-help uh, books. Even our publishing houses, they were Christians now, have no discretion. Incredible. 
There's a third thing Jesus declares, verses 6 and 8. Jesus declares to his disciples that there will be no peace till Jesus returns. You will hear wars of rumors of wars. Uh, see that you are not troubled, for all things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. But notice that he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Only the beginning. And that's the tribulation and great tribulation. We have not gotten there yet. Wars have gone on since the beginning of time. And so, in themselves, they are not evidence of the end. Jesus says it right there in verse 6. But as you look to the world and you see all the wars that have gone on, man has experienced 13 years of war to one year of peace throughout his history. Now, you want to tell me that man is good? You want to tell me that man is not evil? Worldwide conflicts of nations would occur. That's what it implies. World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the war that's going on over there in the Middle East now. I mean, everywhere. Worldwide health problems. Verse 7 says, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, various places. Famines are common, and they have been from the beginning of time. But what's amazing is that we have famines in the midst of the great technology that we have today. We have famines simply because it's not economically feasible to feed the world. Not that we don't have the food nor the technology to produce food, but it just doesn't pay to feed the whole world. Are you saying man is good? And so the world and the men who make these decisions have already written off parts of the world. They just write them off. Fifteen million are dying each year related to malnutrition. Two-thirds of the world went to bed hungry last night. This is what's going on now. God help those who are left for the tribulation and great tribulation. Pestilence. They have always been feared, but not now. We have the greatest plague that we have ever known. AIDS. And yet in the strategy of pestilence, there's always the identification of the individual the isolation of the individual, the tracking down of those he has came in contact with, and then a medical plan to remedy the disease. What have we done with AIDS? We have refused to identify the individual, to trace the individual, to isolate the individual, but we in fact have promoted the infection, the freedom of the individual to be concealed, and we have promoted the loose living as if AIDS is a mere cold. There's the wisdom of the world. 
But notice that he says in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. We didn't even touch earthquakes, and I mean, that's real relevant today. They're increasing. But you know, I'm so glad my feet are on the solid rock of Jesus. My house may fall, but I'm not going to fall. You know what I mean? My house may fall on me. <laughs> but I'll stand before Jesus. You know what I mean? Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about our security in the Savior. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study called The Signs of the Times. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Signs of the Times. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, what happens to Christians during the Great Tribulation? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com